0: Welcome to this edition of the Rerooted podcast here on Ram Dass' Be Here Now Network, where as you see, if you're watching um, behind me, for example, there is this tree here that is very much sort of indicating in its artistic glory, um, sort of both the roots and the branches, the sort of, you know, what's underneath the surface, what's in the ground, and also uh, what is it that is growing out and, and reaching out. And um, we're just sort of exploring that, how we can get re regrounded into our essential self, our deepest self, and really kind of begin to flourish and grow in all the ways that nature, quite frankly, intended. Uh, today we have a very special guest, Dr. David Grant. He is a psychotherapist, a writer, a lecturer, a performance coach, and humanitarian f- famous for the discovery and development of the internationally acclaimed brain spotting method. Brain spotting, uh, which brings about life changing breakthroughs. It's amazing. Brain based therapy is the fastest growing area in the field of psychological health because it has proven that it can immediately address issues that talk therapy can take years to heal. This I can attest to myself. Now, David Grand presents the next leap forward in psychological care, combining the strengths of brain based and talk therapies into a powerful technique he calls brain spotting and has a book also of the same name, which I recommend. Which I have read and is in another location of mine, so I can't hold it up right now. But Dr. Graham, David, so much um, to say. Uh, that's wonderful, so happy that you're here. Thank you for coming.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: So, um, let's begin this whole idea of just, before we get into the model that you've developed and how you sort of came to find it, um, this idea of the difference between sort of talk therapy and then these more somatic brain-based therapies in uh, and, and your your you, you know in the intro that I just mentioned, um, that one sense tends to be i don 't know faster or it's it 's more of a direct route, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about what 's happening there and how this is sort of the next wave of of therapy
1: um, Well first of all, uh, brain spotting in addition to being brain based and relational, you say re- not talk therapy but relational right. uh, it's also body based. And, and it's also mindfulness-based. And I know that you know, you're uh, you know, a teacher, trainer in, in medita- mindfulness meditation. Uh, so it brings together all four uh, in a very mindful way, which, which makes it different from most other uh, therapeutic modalities you know, uh, that are usually have one of those components or maybe two of those components, but rarely, rarely three and never four. And, mm-hmm. and they're all together with, with brain spotting. So the relational is the somatic. you know. The relational is the neurobiological. And uh, uh, the mindful aspect of it is really what brings it all together, which is having a greater sense of who you are and what makes you who you are and what's going on inside of yourself, what's going on around you. Um, and and it's, that's really the, the openness of, of what the modality is. Um, because I'm originally a relational therapist, I was even trained back in the psychoanalytic days and psychoanalytic psychotherapist. Um, you know, it was that uh, there are a lot of pluses and minuses to, to, to that model or those models. Uh, but the fact that it was highly relational and that you're supposed to listen to the client was really crucial to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I got involved more with body based therapies like, uh, like somatic experience and some other, other more technical. Therapies. I always learned it and used it through the the lens of the relation of the relationship of the healing relationship. Um, so for me, when I discovered brain spotting in two thousand and three, when I found an eye position for an ice skater that where her eye just wobbled and then locked in, and when she continued to look at it and just processed off of it intensely for for ten minutes, everything that I developed in brain spotting from there on was relational. If you look at the other technical modalities, the body-based modalities, most of the people who use it use it relationally, but it's not it's not infused into the model itself. Mm. Brain spotting as a brain-body mindfulness-based technical therapy is all superimposed on the relationship and, and on the process between two people. And that makes it unique, you know, and I think that uh, makes it really effective. Um, we have in brain spotting, we, uh, I've, I've coined it, the dual attunement frame. So it's two frames of attunement. And one frame is the relational frame. That's the basic frame. And superimposed on that is the second frame, which is the neurobiological frame, which goes along with body aware- awareness, of body experience, body sensation, and also how we orient visually in in, in our um, you know and uh in our field in our individual field uh in in our environment um so it's really all of that together i'm going to just back up a little bit and then i'll give you a little space to follow up with me on this
0: yeah um, sure
1: like I, I can really get on a roll with this stuff
0: it's all um, good that's why you're here
1: in the in the 17 years from the discovery of brain spotting i've really evolved it uh through many many iterations so that uh it is never, brain sp- what brain spotting was yesterday is not what it's going to be tomorrow. Um, and, and, and in that, uh, I have found that most psychotherapies that are developed end up being pretty fixed. You know, they get set in time and when, whenever they're discovered, and maybe some additions beyond that. But really, as time goes on, they, they, they just sort of self-perpetuate. Brain spotting is meant to, to regenerate. <laughs> It's never meant to be, well, this is what it is, and this is what it, it will be forever. It's, it's that, it's, that it's, it's always changing, always evolving. But, but the context for this, along the way, I, I sort of discovered that, that neurobiology is infinite, that there are between one to four quadrillion synaptic connections in the human nervous system. A quadrillion is a billion multiplied by a million. Okay. If you multiply that by four, well, then you, you get the fully expansive. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Now that is essentially infinite. Okay. So when a human being sits in front of you, and this goes not just for therapy, but this, or just for healing modalities, this is for life. When another person is sitting in front of you, it is mathematically impossible for you to know, for you to know what's going on inside of that person. It's just too vast and too complex and too dynamic. So, the sense that we have of, oh, I know who this person is, and I know where they're coming from, and I know what they're talking about, and I know where they're going, is mathematically impossible, scientifically impossible. So when I talk about the uncertainty principle, which is, I took the, the name of it from Heisenberg in, in quantum physics, because there is uh, you know, an alliance, uh, um, uh, there's a parallel to it. It's the idea that if you're sitting in front of another person, you are truly in a state of uncertainty, whether you know it or not, okay? Mm. And the more you know that you're sitting in uncertainty, and the more that you can surrender to it, the more you can really be present with the person and attuned to that person, okay? So if you take most of the psychotherapeutic models, you can see that they're not built on uncertainty, they're built on subtle forms of certainty and in some models, not so subtle forms of certainty, which in, from a brain spotting point of view means that you believe you can know things that you can't possibly know, okay? Um, so the approach we have is that when you sit in front, of the other per- in front of the person who's there for whatever it is that they want and that, that you can provide them, all you have is the frame, okay? We say in brain spotting, in the face of uncertainty, all you have is the frame. And the frame, that dual attunement frame, the relational neurobiological frame, somehow when you bring it to and hold it with a person and they bring it to you, you form the frame together, um, it changes their neurobiology and it changes their experience as opposed to if it wasn't there. How does it change? We don't know. It's uncertainty. But we know that it changes it. And people are coming for therapy help because... Of the changes that they've wanted to make that they haven't been able to make on their own. So that's, that's the sum and sub, substance of it. But something about setting and holding the, that frame with the, with the person not only changes their experience, but it changes their process. Okay? In other words, process meaning simply what happens moment to moment to moment over time. Okay? And this is where the, the mindfulness aspect of brain spotting comes in. Inside of this frame, we guide the person to just notice whatever comes up and follow it wherever it goes, and in and in that context, something changes inside the person that w- hasn't been able to change at least in this time frame, uh, uh, without that frame being set and held with the person. But the the additional piece to this is is that um, the watchword of brain spotting is that where you look affects how you feel, mm-hmm. and this is really uh, uh, not all of the neurobiology, but a significant part of the neurobiology of brain's body that makes it different from other modalities. And that we have found that if a person is activated around an issue and, they, and you have them track a pointer very slowly, at certain points they're, they're going to show powerful reflexive responses. Mm. Hard, hard blinks, head goes back, head tilts, all kinds of different things. They're all reflexive cues that indicate there's something about that eye position that correlates to whatever that activation is in their neurobiology. Mm -hmm. Or if a person, we see where a person feels it the most, you know, like over here, not so much, over here, more. Oh, it's very powerful right over there. Yeah. We find that eye position, and we have many ways of finding it, and then we guide the person to just keep looking at it, which brings not only a focus, but a focus around that neurobiological activation and that experiential activation. And then from there, it, the, we trust the process wherever it goes. And it's essentially a mindfulness process, that, but it's done with another person holding the space and witnessing, it, you know, which also influences the process as opposed to doing it by yourself, which is powerful in, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really the nature of how brain spotting has evolved and where it is now. I can't tell you where it's going to be tomorrow because it'll be different. Um, uh, but that's my fast summary of, of brain spotting.
0: Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful model. And what you were holding up there is just for people who are watching who don't know exactly, but it's the pointer, if you will, um, that one uses um, to sort of check where the visual field uh, would go.
1: We'd say where the activation in the visual field is. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm right. Right, where you would notice the response that you were indicating earlier, either the um, sort of like hard blink or the pull away or the something that mm-hmm. would indicate that there's something there with um, with activation that's in charge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So what I hear you saying is that there's really just there's this <clears throat> this uh, relational field that then you know is is critical to. Um, facilitating in many ways the the process that unfolds, and that it's it's a way of holding, a way of being with um, the the person, the client, the patient, um, who's you know sitting in the chair uh, next to you or across from you or whatnot, um, and that there's something in that that can bring forward the next step of whatever it is that that might want to emerge from the place that has been historically kind of stuck that might not always otherwise feel like emerging or, or would, would, would not have that unfold if that relational field weren't there. Is that mm-hmm. kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the client leads the process. Mm-hmm. The client has all the information. The therapist only gets the information by following the client wh- wherever they go. Mm-hmm. And that's not the usual model for psychotherapy. You know, and it also makes it non-hierarchical. And it also puts the client in charge of their own inner experience. And it works against the natural tendency towards compliance that people have, especially trauma survivors have, um, when there's nothing to comply to, you know? And then when that comes out, it can be sort of looked at and processed for what, for what it is. Um, but um, when you see a brain spotting therapist, their expertise is in knowing what they don't know. Yeah. Okay? And that's a really elevated type of expertise as opposed to knowing all kinds of information that then gets imposed on the, on the client and on the relationship.
0: Um, yeah. So suffocating.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I've been in therapy myself uh, with a number of different therapists, so I know that suffocation feeling. Not at <laughs> all, of them, but some of them. <laughs> yeah,
0: right, <laughs> right. I think you know what I what I think is so so sweet about um, this method, your method, brain spotting, and uh, some of the ones that I'm um, you know more more deeply trained in right now, anyway, um, like the focusing or the somatic experiencing or or you know even the mindfulness work. That it's it it's such a there's just no comparison. I mean, I was in talk therapy for 20 years and there were certain things that I came to understand about, oh yeah, this is my self-belief or self-core belief because of the way in which my father was and it was unpredictable and therefore I sort of learned this, now what I know the name of it is, it's ambivalent attachment or preoccupied attachment kind of, you know, sort of style and all this kind of stuff. But it wasn't helping me feel any better or any different and it wasn't actually helping me live with more freedom or ease or joy or being able to make decisions or things that are, you know, more generative in my life. Whereas once I started doing some of the work that was more brain-based, more body-based, more somatic-based, more of that felt sense shift, things really started to crack open. And then there was like this whole other world of possibility. And I can't say that I'm a different person than I was five years ago, but certainly I can be like the testament of, yeah these things that you were trying to tell me to do, like, oh well, instead of eating the bag of Oreos, why don't you take a bath instead of you know having the doritos, why don't you listen to music or take a walk? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a nice approach, but it's not working for me
1: well the, I'm going to bring out my brain model here, okay and and there's, an, there's a brain explanation for what you're talking about. Mm. Uh, the brain is a model of the development of the animal. Animal life on this planet. And the brain stem is the reptilian brain. And then on top of that is the limbic system, which is the mammalian brain. And on top of that is the neocortex, which is the human brain. Okay. Now, um, this is the brain stem is most, the most important part of the brain because if it's not functioning, we die instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how smart you are or how much you know or where you live or any of that kind of stuff. This is life or death. The limbic system on top of that, you know, the mammalian brain, is crucially important for how we feel and our intuitive self. And it's very much involved in body sensations as well. But it also has the alarm system of flight or fight or freeze. So it, 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 it promotes survival by helping us to vigilantly, vigilantly attune to our environment. And when there is something, to respond to it. Of course, people who are trauma survivors get false alarms, you know, and reacting, we call it hypervigilance to things that aren't happening, but. um, In mindfulness
0: language, I know they use that example of like, is it a rope or is it a snake? And if it's, you know, really a rope, but I, but I don't jump back, like it's a snake. If I'm uncertain, then I might die. You know, so it's this idea of being in the present with what it actually is, which in some cases these days is actually a rope and not a snake.
1: Right. But if a person has been bitten by a snake and Mm -hmm. got very sick, they'll be, as a trauma survivor, a lot more inclined to intuitively react to that rope as a snake than someone who's never been bitten by a snake or had a negative interaction with a snake.
0: Right, right. So there's the evolutionary negativity bias, like, oh, no, I got to be careful that this isn't a snake. But then in your specific instance, if you've had an interaction, then you definitely are going to say, oh, no, I bet it's a
1: snake. Right. Unless or until you've had a healing process with it. Right, right. Okay. So I, in the idea that the neocortex is the human brain, okay, and this we're talking about the t- talk therapy and, and so on. Language only exists in the neocortex. There's no language down in the, the, what we call the subcortex, the limbic system and, and the brainstem. There's, there are, the thinking processes only exist up in the neocortex. They don't exist down here because there's no need for them to be down here. This is all felt sense intuitive. Mm-hmm. But, but the issue is, and, and many therapies don't seem to recognize this, Information flows primarily from the subcortex up to the neocortex. Very little information comes from the neocortex down to the Mm subcortex. There is a secondary loop. Let's say 90% goes up and then 10% goes down. But if you really want to get to the the processes, you have to be able to bypass the neocortex and and access the subcortex, okay? And then whatever processing goes on there ultimately comes back up to the neocortex. Right. If you have a therapy that is language or thought based, okay, as opposed to body and emotion based, you're going to, you're not, you're going to get that 10% down. You're not going to get that 90% up. Uh, But with brain spotting, okay. um, One of the things is, you know, uh, the more you learn about the brain, the more you realize what you don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, um, nothing just goes on in one place in the brain. And we say uh, when a person has a traumatic experience that the brain's capacity to process the experience is, is not fully, you know, articulated so that parts or pieces of that trauma go unprocessed, you know, in, in, in the subcortical brain. And that's where you get flashbacks and hypervigilance and, and fear of reoccurrence and all of those things but it's really not like you have a little thing over here, a little unprocessed trauma over here. It's really very much systemic and fluid and dynamic, but it's still in certain places. So with brain spotting, when we find that eye position where all of a sudden the person just goes like this, something about that eye position is correlating to that unprocessed traumatic network in the subcortex. Or if we find an, an over here, oh, wow, I, my chest just clenched up right when you went over here. Something about this eye position correlates to that unprocessed trauma deep in, in, the, in the subcortex. And when, when you hold it in place, the brain's attention is held more in place on that, okay? So that the processing, the mindfulness processing that goes on there is very focused and, and very direct to, to the region or the, the, the networks in the subcortex that are holding the unprocessed trauma. Um, and that's really you know uh, what helps brain spotting to be able to do what uh, uh, many other therapies are not able to do with that specificity and that depth. Yeah. Um, you mentioned somatic experiencing. And uh, I'll give a shout out to Peter Levine and, and SE. Uh, um, uh, although I've trained in a lot of modalities, um, Peter's work with SC has influenced me more than any other modality, and uh, there's a lot. Um, if you're an SC practitioner, you'll recognize a lot of it in in brain spotting. So, um, and we're uh, we're not afraid to uh, to admit that. We uh, we're proud to admit that. Um, uh, but what, although at, at certain advanced levels, you know, eye positions are are addressed and taught in SC. They're not they don't have the primacy that they do in brain spotting. And so brain spotting, although we're always looking for, you know, body awareness, body experience, we're also looking for the eye positions that resonate with that body experience. Right. right, And going back to the neocortex, if you, if a person's head jerks back over here, the neocortex has absolutely, absolutely no idea why that's the case. You've, You've bypassed the neocortex. Or if all of a sudden a person's chest tightens up over here, person doesn't say, oh, I know why my chest is tightening up. It's because of a, a, B, and C. No, it's like, I don't know why, but something about that eye position.
0: So can we play with that then? I'm the client. You're the one who's doing therapy, and that just happened to me. I just pulled back when you did the eye position there. What would be your follow-up question or line of inquiry?
1: Well, we only explore the visual field after we have worked with focused activation for the client, around whatever they're coming for. So if we'll make it a specific trauma being a car accident, although anybody who has a car accident has previous trauma because life is traumatizing as we know very much these days. Uh, But uh, I I would just ask the person to tell me about what happened and they'd have a chance just to explore it. And when you start talking about something, it comes out differently than, than you plan. Different things happen. And that's just how the, the brain and the self works. But from there, you know, we then say, are you activated around this trauma? And in person would say yes, usually. And we use a rating scale of 0 to 10 to say, well, how activated do you feel right now, 0 to 10? It's like a, a sort of a thermometer that you check in with in the beginning and towards the end. Um, 0 to 10, if it's an 8, then... Where are you feeling it your body right now? Okay. Now the person might say, Well, you know, uh just you know, just over here on both sides of my neck. From there, then we would look for the eye position. Okay, mm-hmm. after we've gone through all those steps. Because all those steps help the brain and the body to get focused activation around whatever that unprocessed trauma from the car accident and whatever else is networked into it traumatically. Um so so from there. We find that eye position. And there's another way of finding eye positions called gaze spotting for where we gaze. So if a person is telling you the story, but they're like locked like this, you know, I might say to them, just keep on, notice what you're looking at. Keep looking at that. Notice what you're feeling in the body and whatever you're seeing from the accident and just watch where things go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then a person, it it is a very focused version of mindfulness, uh, but it is... It's the sine qua non of healing and brain spotting. The person keeps on looking at that spot or the, the spot we found with the pointer. And uh, wherever they go is wherever they need to go. There's, you can't do it wrong, even though some people initially think they're doing it wrong because they're not used to trusting their internal process and trusting wherever it goes. Um, but as it goes from here, basically the therapist you know, the brain-spawning therapist sits and is present with and follows the client wherever they go. Mm-hmm. It's the metaphor of the comet, that the client is the head of the comet and the therapist tries to get into and stay in the tail of the comet. Okay. And by the way, nothing can honor a person and their experience more than for the other person to follow them. You know, mm-hmm. with no preconditions. So the human system knows how to heal. Neurobiology is built on moving from dysregulation to regulation. And what happens in this, mysteriously, you know, uh, although it is neurobiological, is that the system finds its own way to process through the unprocessed trauma in the present, to come from the then and there to the here and now. And it's not like it didn't happen, but it's, it's, it's in my past, it's part of my experience. you know? But it doesn't have to cause me suffering or it doesn't have to inhibit me in the present or as I go ahead into the future. Now, you mentioned brain spotting is a fast modality. Well, if it's a simple trauma, sometimes two, three, five sessions is enough. But we know most people come to us with complex trauma, developmental trauma, and uh, it's not like three to five sessions is gonna get a resolution to something that goes back to early in life, perhaps pre-verbal times. Um, But, the frame that we set and hold provides a person a chance to heal on many different levels at the same time. And from there, the person will go as far with it as they want to go. You know, Mm -hmm. clients will say, well, how do I know when I'm done? I said, well, listen, what you put in is what you get out. Okay. And and if you want just if for you three sessions of this, even though you could go a lot further is all you want for the moment, then that's exactly what it should be. You know, as opposed to, well, if you come for this amount of time, you're going to get this kind of result and so on, which is um, is very linear uh, for the human system, which is highly nonlinear.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I like that tail comet and um, sort of image that you pulled up there. And also, you know, with me, with the way that I work with um, clients now um, that have trauma, as, as most do, is that, you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, I'm just sort of like, you know, we're sort of going there I'm kind of like, yeah, sort of down the rabbit hole, like what's here now or what's there mm-hmm. now? And we're doing this together, to your point, like you're not alone in this. Or, you know, maybe we even bring in some other kind of resources, if you will, that, that might be helpful if needed or not. But that's mm-hmm. the way I work. I'm not saying that's brain spotting, but that idea that it's an unfolding, that it's showing its way to us as we go along. And um, that it's something that um, you'll know when it feels gotten. You'll know when it feels shifted or feels different Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it will it will be i don't want to say obvious but there'll be a there'll be there'll be something that shifts
1: um and it's the subcortex just knows it intuitively Mm -hmm. the neocortex is the last last one to know you know
0: right you You may not be able to explain what happened but you'll be like it feels different
1: right exactly Exactly. yeah I, i do want to say in terms of using resources Brainspotting uses resources really only when necessary. And we, we uh, try not to jump in too soon with resources because we find that, most pe- that, first of all, the ultimate resource is the nervous system, especially the brainstem down to the spine. And you can't provide a resource for a person that's gonna do what their brainstem down to the spine does. But also the relationship, the attuned presence between two people is the ultimate resource Mm -hmm. so that um, what we do when brain spotting first, if someone seems like they need resources, first of all, we give them time and space because a lot of times in that healing trajectory, they need to really go for that long arc before they can just start to come through it. But we double down on the, on the relational presence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And that's, that's where really mindfulness comes in. You know, for us to be mindful of the power of of our presence with the person and to be mindful about being mindful um, uh, uh, helps you to become even more present.
0: You know, what what makes me think about this is is that the best therapists, I think, are the ones who've done their own work, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, that I know I've been with therapists that have not done as much and at least not in the ways that were as um, felt to me. and, uh, and that when you are working, when I've worked with someone who I felt has sort of went through their stuff and, and sort of done more of their own work, that the trust to be able to feel like I can, I can kind of take this journey with them, that, I, that, I, that it's okay, that it's safe. Like, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. We don't have a roadmap, but it's certainly something that I feel like more okay about um, sort of go, moving toward and moving into this curiosity with. This process.
1: There's a simple explanation for what you're talking about, which is a therapist who really is carrying a lot of stuff and hasn't worked with it is going to be bringing that into the sessions, into the relationship, and is going to be unwittingly, unconsciously self referencing their unprocessed traumas or conflicts or whatever. And their brain's attention is drawn into that, which draws their brain's attention away from the person sitting in front of them and the uniqueness of them and the uh, the um, uh, the dynamic process that they go through. So, um, how can you you know tune into a person when you're tuned out from yourself? Mm. You know?
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, right, and and that's it's it's so interesting because I have empathy for people that still have work to do. I mean, please, I'm sure I'll be doing work forever. But the the big chunks anyway that were like the big boulders, you know, they sort of got blasted and they're sort of now more pebbles, you know. I mean, it's it's like trans you can walk around now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um that that I have empathy for for that, but I also feel like yeah, it does get in the way and it's about them, meaning that it's more like more it's 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 a less availability, um, like you say, for um for the clients. Um Okay. So this really beautiful process of working with the brain, understanding really what's happening with and to the brain. I, you know, one of the things that I often say to clients is there's nothing wrong with you in the sense that you are exquisitely built to do exactly what you needed to do in order to survive and be here now, which is amazing. And all of that adaptation and all of those behaviors are not the end of the story they are running a program that was sort of, you know, uploaded or whatever analogy you want to use a while ago that's still running, that now if we can get curious about it in this brain spotting way, um, we could, you know, sort of look into and and see what might've wanted or might've Mm -hmm. sort of been hoping to emerge as opposed to this adaptation. And a lot of people I don't think really understand the physiology or the, the brain, the neuroscience piece of it being like, well, I'm just doing what I was programmed to do, but this deprogramming, for lack of a better word, is equally possible with these kinds of processes.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the term post-traumatic stress disorder or the term dissociative disorder or attachment disorder is so uh, wrong, okay? If... It's not a disorder for your system to do its best adaptation for things that that no human being should have to go through. Okay, um, so what looks like an attachment disorder or a dissociative disorder is is a marker of what the system had to endure. Mm. Okay, and that that the response to it that looks symptomatic to us and that may be getting in the way for the person is 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 the best adaptation they had at that point of their, in their development to whatever the intrusions were, you know, and it's usually not a single event intrusion. It's usually, uh, repetitive over time and development. So it's not post-traumatic stress disorder. It's, you know, post-traumatic stress experience. I like
0: that post-traumatic stress experience.
1: Yeah. You know, and literally, I mean, if, uh, if you were bitten by a snake, you know, um, uh, for you to have that reaction to anything that looks like a snake is really highly adaptive under the circumstances. It may be overly adaptive, and you may need to n- not have it go away, but have it go back to what it should be. You know, It's the difference between hypervigilance and vigilance. When you come out of hypervigilance, the goal is to not, well, just have no vigilance.
0: Meaning you don't want to check out.
1: <laughs> well, and, and you want to be able to, to pick up true danger when it's there. Yeah. You know? So... Um,
0: an alertness if you will
1: yeah and, and, and again attachment disorder it 's not an attachment disorder it's it 's an attachment experience an attachment representation attachment mirror the person what is called a disorder is a reflection of what happened to them okay mm-hmm. and and in brain spotting therapy and all effective therapies it 's to provide a person an experience in the present which is different but not by talking about it, you know, except t- afterwards. The talk part of brain spotting happens towards the end of the session, maybe in the beginning of the session, towards the end of the session. But to have the person have an internally adaptive experience, you know, that their system and, uh, is able to find its way out of that only their system could do. And somebody else's system will do it differently. And that's why in brain spotting in the face of uncertainty. What we have is the frame, you know, you set and hold it. And then what happens inside of it is drawn from the person's potential.
0: Right. And, right. and it
1: goes wherever it goes, however it goes there.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. That's beautiful. Um, you know, as you're talking, it makes me think of about of a couple of different things. What you, you, you mentioned trauma a few times. Is this a model specifically um, well suited for or developed for? Um, trauma, or how do you define trauma? It is pretty much all sort of needs that we may have in some ways a form of trauma. How would you? Well, and, and can you give any examples of like the kinds of things people would present? You mentioned car accidents earlier. Other things.
1: Um, first of all, we are now living in a time when every person in the world is being traumatized.
0: Well, together.
1: Together, and although it's maybe happened before, we didn't have the kind of communications, the instantaneous communications, so that we could all know that it's happening around the world.
0: Being that we're taping this in the time of the pandemic, right?
1: Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so, um, uh, brain spotting is not a trauma therapy. Brain spotting is a human therapy. Mm. Okay, and people have different definitions for trauma and different ways of experiencing it. Uh, so it's whatever the, whatever the person feels is not the way they want to feel or whatever holds the person back for being able to be who they want to be and do what they want to do is what it is. And that's self-defined. Um, uh, is there usually a trauma base to it and, and a, a multiple trauma base? Sure. And do we, is that what we're looking for all the time? Um, um uh absolutely not. We're not looking for anything because that's the certainty model. We're looking for whatever wherever they go in the process. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the things is is in brain spotting is that if you wait and wait long enough, the person will always go to a place that they wouldn't have gone to otherwise. Okay. So is there so, a lot of
0: silence in the sessions? Uh
1: absolutely. Well how if the, per- the person is inside the frame and they're processing deeply in the frame and they're subcortically processing, so it is mega fast, you know, by the time the person says anything to you, they're already in a different place. So silence is wisdom, you know, because uh, uh, um, the, what happens is when you talk, it draws the person out of their process. So if you're going to do it, you have to have a pretty good reason to do that, you know. And most of the things that we think are good reasons are not good reasons. I did an experiment with a number of my clients. Uh, I'm a very experienced therapist, and I'm a, a very insight-oriented and relational and all these things in addition to brain-body and stuff. But I, in, in brain spotting, I, was, I would wait for the moment, and I'd really wait for it, for when I thought I had a really valuable intuitive intervention. And then I just zipped it. It didn't say it and I waited to see what happens happened afterwards. And what happened 100% of the time is that a person went off in a different direction than they would have gone had I stepped in with my intervention, had I had you know, redirected the, their stream, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 100% of the time people went to different places that they wouldn't have gone to likely had I stepped in. So no matter how smart you are, how experienced you are, how creative, how attuned you are, okay, you're still in the tail of that comet, you know you'll never get close to the head of the comet you know you you're doing pretty good if you're following them and maintaining that you know and noticing when you fall out of the tail of the comet, lose a too, and then so you can work your way back into it
0: yeah, I love that because it really is um I mean clearly the frame and the holding spaces is, is critical um, for the therapist to be. Um, holding space there. Uh, mm-hmm. but that, but that, but that it's, it's client led in the way in that way. Um, like you say, it, at the head of the
1: car. It has to be. Yes. Has yeah. To be. Yeah. I mean, this, it's so obvious. And yet most therapies are not based on that.
0: Right, well, it just sounds like there's just a lot of like you started this um, podcast this recording with a lot about uncertainty you know, and a lot of um, this idea of well, how do we be with uncertainty and 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 a lot of that is like well, curiosity perhaps, or um, a little bit of you know wonder, um, a little bit of openness, a little bit of huh, well, okay, well, what about this or what about, what else or what you know just the, just that open question as opposed to um, having to do a particular thing. I mean, obviously you have scales and protocols around, you know,
1: no, pr- no protocols. Okay. We do not have protocols. A protocol is, is something that the therapist brings in and it's usually because they were taught it. Okay. And then fits the client into that protocol. Remember protocols are used for research. Okay. So that you can have, have uh, you know, um, everybody gets the same protocol. But if, if, an, if a therapy is attunement-based, you can't have a protocol, okay? If you're working with the one to four quadrillion synaptic connections, there's no protocol for that.
0: Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted to do a really big piece of work after having known you for five minutes and you felt like you were sufficiently attuned, you'd say, sure, well, let's go?
1: Why not? Okay. You, and you know, the, the reason the answer is why not is because I trust the person sitting in front of me.
0: Uh-huh, so meaning that like, they wouldn't have wanted to dive in or felt a, that you trust that they were feeling okay enough or whatever it is to, if, to make that suggestion.
1: If one out of 10 people are not ready to do that, I'm not going to deprive nine out of 10 people from being able to manifest who they are and who they want to be and who they need to be right in that moment.
0: Okay, yeah. I guess that was my thought about when I meant, what I... When I was saying protocols, what I was sort of meaning was like, oh, you know, sort of get to know a little bit and whatever. I didn't really mean it like these, you know, um, you know, evidence-based research kind of, you know, collecting, you know, data. I didn't mean it so much that way, but just more like there's generally sort of a way of kind of getting to that relational field if you really don't know the person yet. Um, But that that's going to be different for everybody.
1: In uncertainty, we never really know the person, you know, in their true... Existential, essential, neurobiological self. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you ask a brain spotting therapist, well, where did the person start and where did they go? And where do they end up? The true answer is I don't know. Okay. Uh, It's just too much to know. But um, uh, as far as getting to know a person, there's getting to know their neocortical. Conscious informational language self, and there 's getting to know the subcortical person, which is really their intuitive emotional body self um, uh, and that 's really who we 're getting to know in brain spotting, and then the neocortical self kind of comes along, right. but again, you have to get to the deeper self before you can get to the more conscious self. you have yeah. to get to the core self before you can get to the you know, informational self. Um, and, and again, and I don't want to repeat this, um, the success that I have, the secret to my success as a therapist and a healer and so on, is that I have complete trust in the person in front of me, mm-hmm. okay? And I have a lot more trust in them than I have in myself when it comes to them and their process. So if a person, like five minutes into it, I'm right here, let's go, I will trust them. I'll trust them. And unless for some reason I find out otherwise. Okay. And I'm not going to let any, any external idea inhibit that person from their process. That's beautiful.
0: Um, That's great. It's good to know. Um, A couple of the things that just sort of came to mind. One was that um, is there a sense of, I don't know. It almost sounds like there's a sense of something beyond that this, you know, sort of uncertainty leads to, and I dare I say, like maybe something spiritual, or maybe something mystical, or maybe something—I don't know. Is there anything there? Or am I making this up?
1: No, no, no. no. You know, um, many therapists, or many teachers uh, squash the idea of spirituality. Um, uh, that's not what we're here for. It's not scientific. It's not research. Whatever it is, um, and there are some modalities there that are spirituality. Based. Okay. In brain spotting, it's an open model. So whatever the person brings in, and whatever they consciously bring in, whatever they bring in on a deeper basis, that's what we sit and hold with them. Um uh, do we understand the human neurobiology so that we really know what is physiological and, and, and what is spiritual? Of course not. Do we understand? universe or the universes enough to know what really is scientific and what really what is spiritual you know Um, I think that the uh, physicists have discovered up to 14 or 15 dimensions you know like who knows what that is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know um, spirituality shouldn't be anything goes you know I think this and this is spiritual this is my belief Um, but the idea that that existence is infinite and will that the most we'll ever get is the slightest tale of what there is in the infinite universe or universes, uh, leaves a lot of room for, for possibility, you know, mm. for expanded possibility. Um, but I find that people who have, who are, who have spiritual beliefs or who are spiritual people when they come, uh, it's a great asset to the healing process. And I use the word knowing that the person has a knowing about them. Okay. And they know what it is, and I probably don't know what it is, you know, but I, I know that they know, and I trust that they know. So I will, never bring my issues of spirituality in. I'll draw it from them, but I will receive whatever it is that they that they bring to me because I know that they know better than I do.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I love that. That's great. Um, uh, let, and- me, let, let I want to bring in something because we talked about it before. Okay. which is issues of bias and oppression.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask
1: that. Oh, good. So we're, we're thinking alike right now. Um, we're resonating. I'm a very political person internally, personally, but as the leader of, of a therapy movement, you know, I have to be apolitical because it's, it's not for me to, to confirm or disconfirm anybody's you know, belief systems or politics and so on. Um, uh, but, um, uh, a lot, there are a lot of issues of oppression and bias that go on, not just in our country, but in, but in the world. And, um, if you're in a healing modality, I think it's your responsibility to be aware, to be in in, in a searching process about what it is and how it affects people and how it affects everybody, not just those who, who are, it's targeted at. Um, but, um, uh, if you work with people from populations that have been, uh, where oppression and bias has been meted out to them collectively and individually, you really need to know what it is, you know, and you need to, uh, not just educate yourself, you need to explore yourself. Mm. Um, and, and the more you do, the more people who come to you who are, let's say, people of color, the more they're going to feel that you're at least open and sensitive, if not, you know, uh, uh, informed. Um, and, and I've, uh, I've worked with people around a lot of these issues who would not have brought it to a, a white therapist before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and to me, uh, it's a tremendous honor, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I've learned so much, you know, and, um, uh, um, you know, I grew up in the United States in the 50s and 60s, and, like, that was white America, okay? Not that yeah. we didn't have a lot of people of color back then, but that's the way it was. And, and there are a lot of people who, with courage and determination, are insisting that we open up our eyes to what is and that we not accept what is. Um, Brainspotting doesn't have a bias when it comes to this. Brainspotting has, has a presence when it comes to this. Uh, which is that, um, uh, again, we are non-hierarchical, okay? And the person and their experience is the most important thing. And uh, we want therapists of color to be able to come to trainings where they can feel safe and feel understood. And, and we are addressing that in brain spotting. And I have the assistance of a, a wonderful guy who has given me the opportunity to do that. Um, and to train uh,
0: therapists of color in brain spotting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and what is a safe environment, you know, instead of being one out of two or three people out of a group of 80, being one out of a group of 80, you know, right. Um, uh, and um, um, uh, I I get so much from it. Uh, I get so much learning and growth and healing and inspiration and so on. And we use the term expansion in brain spotting. Mm. Um, uh, it really helps me to expand, um, and uh, it's one of the things I'm proudest about, you know. And of course, being a, for therapists who are who are treating uh, clients who have been subjected to institutional racism and generational oppression, so on, um, uh, to be able to help people who need it the most and get it the least is uh, is very much part of what brain spotting is about and it fits the model you know it's not like well we take the brain spotting model and we bring it over to oppression it's yeah. you know um the whole idea is that a person knows best the whole idea is we we are there we surrender to the uncertainty of of, of their complex self uh, uh lends itself to that it's natural for that
0: mm, beautiful Thank you for sharing that. And as you were, I was just really feeling this sort of, very much this sort of heartfelt um, in with it and reverence really for the process um, that you are experiencing, have experienced um, when you really are in that process of sort of, as you said, I think, I think your phraseology was sort of self exploration as well as then the, the, the presencing to work with someone who has been more the subject of you know, systemic and structural oppression and marginalization. And, and just really that there's that um, deep compassion and also really reverence, I feel for that.
1: Reverence is the right word.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I sense that that it's, you know, m- my sense is, is I always feel like it's a gift when you know I'm allowed to work with someone, that it's a privilege and that it's a gift. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, 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 I'm not doing something for or on or to anyone, to your point about, you know, letting the client be the comet, you know, and I'm the tail. Um, but, that, but that there's something, um, I don't know, like that, that's just, like you said, expansion, that there's something that expands here, even with me, that it's not just the client that may have a different felt sense or shift or experience, but that that happens and it's good for me too.
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, bias and oppression obviously traumatizes the, uh, the victims of it or the people it's directed at, but bias and oppression traumatizes everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, that's part of what is silent about it, you know, unknown about it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I love that you said that and added that. Thank you so much, David. Um, As we kind of wrap up and and close this beautiful and sort of wide ranging conversation and also uh, this lovely explanation of of precisely sort of, you know, what the model's about and how it's coming to be. I just wanna remind folks that they can read your book, um brain spotting they can certainly look at your website um, but is there anything else that you'd like to which we'll put a link to and everything like that in, in the liner notes for the podcast is there anything else that you'd like to add or, or sort of leave our listeners and viewers with for this episode?
1: Uh, brain spotting didn't invent anything brain spotting just noticed what was out there okay and noticed certain things that we're not noticed by others, at least as far as we know. And it put them together, you know, and it put them together in a harmonious way. And it put them together in a way that and we say when, when I teach and my trainers teach, we say, don't try to do brain spotting my way. Take what I'm teaching you and make it your own. Learn mm-hmm. how to do brain spotting your own way. Okay. That, that's one of the most important messages that we give. Um, Because everybody who does therapy, every therapist does it their own way. It has to fit just who they are and what they know and how how they resonate. So um, uh, what we try to do with each, what we try to help each person to do who comes to us is help them to become themselves or who they were destined to be, Mm -hmm. and who they want to be, and in ways that they didn't even know, things they didn't even know about themselves. Uh, And to do it in a society, you know, where we not only do it for ourselves, but we do it because we're participating in something larger than ourselves.
0: Well, on that note, something larger than ourselves, Dr. David Grand, Brainspotting.com is where you can find out more information to find a practitioner if you're interested in potentially receiving uh, Brainspotting as a modality that could be supportive to you, or if you're interested in training in it and would like to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Rerooted. Really beautiful conversation.
1: Thank you, and and thanks for bringing out for me what you brought out for me.
0: Hmm. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.